The following podcast contains explicit language. Do you, under any circumstances, ever use the word faggot? No. Do you think it's okay under any circumstances? Absolutely not. I live in a predominantly gay neighborhood. It's the last thing you want to say. Would you, under any circumstances, use the word faggot? Uh, I guess I would. I mean, around friends only, though. Can you give me an example of how you might use it in a sentence? It might sound kind of bad because, you know, we're not friends here, but like, if like, I'm just joking around and he, my friend does something stupid and I go, ah, you faggot. But then I don't actually associate the word faggot with like homosexual or anything like that, too. So I guess I use it differently than what a lot of people would actually use it as. Would you, under any circumstances, use the word faggot? No, never. No, I've heard it, obviously, but I, I wouldn't use that word. I don't think I've ever called anybody a faggot. From Washington, D.C., this is Lexicon Valley, a podcast about language. I'm Bob Garfield. Today, episode number two, titled A Bundle of Faggots, wherein we discuss the heretic-burning, ball-and-chain-dragging history of what some people call the other F-word. Joining me is Lexicon Valley producer Mike Volo. Mike? Hi, Bob. So, uh... I'm ashamed to admit this, considering this other F word, but I use it pretty much all the time. Ironically, I mean, never as an epithet that has anything to do with, you know, sexuality. Give me an example of how you might use it. You say to me, I know we were going to record at 1230, but I'm going to delay till 1245. I say, faggot. (laughs) So calling me a jerk, basically. But not even that, because I don't even think you're a jerk. And the 15 minutes doesn't matter to me. It's just a joke. Okay. I put together a short list of just some of the people who have used the word over the last year or so. And, you know, you may or may not be in good company, depending on what you think of them. I'll take it chronologically. In April of 2011, Kobe Bryant, basketball player with the Los Angeles Lakers, was benched after getting a technical foul in a game against the Spurs. He then called the ref a, quote, fucking faggot. Incidentally, often when someone uses this word publicly, they then go into damage control mode and issue an apology. Kobe Bryant's came the very next day. He said, what I said last night should not be taken literally. My actions were out of frustration during the heat of the game, period. He was just saying that he wasn't actually accusing the ref of being gay. As if that's somehow a legitimate accusation? As if in the Seinfeldian (laughs) phrase there were anything wrong with that. He was just trying to clarify that he wasn't making any sexual reference. Right. That he was just calling the guy, you know, a faggot. Let's get to that distinction a little bit later. In any case, in May of 2011, Joakim Noah of the Chicago Bulls said, fuck you faggot to a fan at the American Airlines arena. In September, Wayne Simmons, a hockey player with the Philadelphia Flyers, your hometown, Bob, called someone on the Rangers a fucking faggot. And in November, the director, Brett Ratner, was at a Q&A for his movie Tower Heist. The question put to him was, so you get this entire group of actors together. What was your rehearsal like? And Ratner replied, rehearsal? What's that? Rehearsal is for fags. <laughs> yeah, they're always so prepared, those faggots. I never noticed. Now, Hollywood is arguably less tolerant of homophobic slurs than 
you know, the NBA or the NHL, although the NBA did fine Kobe Bryant pretty substantially. I think it may have even been like $100,000. Nevertheless, Ratner was effectively forced to resign as producer of the Academy Awards. However, can you guess, Bob, who in 2011 proved even less tolerant of that word than Hollywood? All right, the American Bowling Congress. You're sort of in the ballpark. You're right in that I'm not going for a person. The answer is Canada. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? That was the very next thing that was going to come out of my mouth. (laughs) In January of 2011, the Canadian Broadcast Standards Council banned from the radio there the Dire Straits song Money for Nothing because it contains the word faggot. Wait, wait, wait. The Dire Straits song from like 1985? Mm Mm-hmm. That one. Just got up to Canada way. Believe it or not, this council is not a government agency. It's actually a group formed by the broadcasters themselves to sort of voluntarily self-police their own content. In their ruling, they said, quote, like other racially driven words in the English language, faggot is one that even if entirely or marginally acceptable in earlier days is no longer so. Now, anyone who is at all familiar with that Dire Straits song knows that Mark Knopfler, who wrote it, was putting that word in the mouth of a character whose worldview he was, in a sense, satirizing. I guess many Canadians pointed out that fact to the council because some months later they reversed their ruling. Yeah, so the use of the word in the song in the context of the character who is uttering it, it's self-consciously obnoxious. And banning that is like banning the Huckleberry Finn in middle school because of the N-word. In the context of the characters and the history... It should be illuminating for students to encounter that word. So let's talk about the etymological and historical context for the word faggot, which appears in the English language sometime in the late 12, early 1300s, when it meant simply a bundle of sticks. I remember in elementary school, someone would call you a faggot on the playground, and your retort would be, yeah, well, a faggot is a bundle of sticks. Yeah, it's kind of a faggoty thing to say, but you know what's interesting about those playground moments is, not only does the guy who's just called you a faggot probably even know what he's accusing you of, because he's too young to you know, kind of get it, you don't know what he's accusing you of, and you don't even know why a bundle of sticks. No, no idea. It's this very kind of academic argument based on no real real-world notion of what the conversation's about. Precisely. I, as a kid, had no idea what a bundle of sticks would be for. It was purely a rhetorical retort. I didn't even really know why you would need such a word until I saw it for the first time in print. Lunch note from mom? How did you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've, I've met Mrs. Volo. No, no, of course not. Uh, growing up, We had in our house a series of Newbery Award-winning novels, a kind of box set, and it included the very famous Island of the Blue Dolphins by Scott O'Dell. I remember reading it and coming across this passage. After the Aleuts had killed their men at Coral Cove, all the women of our tribe had singed their hair short as a sign of mourning. 
I had singed mine too with a faggot, but now it had grown long again and came to my waist. I thought, oh, okay, so that's what you might do with a bundle of sticks, make some sort of burning implement out of it. In fact, in the Middle Ages and you know, well beyond, these bundles were often used as kindling for a fire, and they became very closely associated with the burning of heretics. But there were other things you might do with a bundle of sticks. You might fashion it into a whip for flailing people or a broom for sweeping. None of this seems to have any connection etymologically with homosexuality or a pejorative of any kind. How does a bundle of sticks used as kindling or as a broom connect to an emasculating slur? At some point, the word faggot takes a figurative turn and is adopted as a pejorative term for a woman, not a gay man, not yet. The Oxford English Dictionary describes it as a term of abuse or contempt applied to a woman starting in the late 1500s and lasting well into the 20th century. In fact, it's probably still used this way in parts of Great Britain and Ireland. And if you've ever read James Joyce's Ulysses, towards the end of the novel, Molly Bloom is lying in bed next to Leopold. Wait, 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 wait. You got to the end of Ulysses? <laughs> well, I may have skipped I, I a few. I got to page 112 maybe 16 to 18 times, but I, I certainly never got to the end. If you had gotten to the end, Molly is thinking back to when they were younger and they lived near an elderly woman whom Molly refers to in her thoughts as that old faggot Mrs. Reardon. Oh, poor Mrs. Reardon. But you said figurative for women, but I don't understand what the metaphor is. What's the reference? Nobody knows for sure, but there are a few theories. One theory suggests that gathering and carrying bundles of wood is burdensome, and that men who have been married for a certain number of years may view their wives as a burden. So here, faggot would be similar to ball and chain. So bending over to pick up kindling and having to schlep it back to the house, that's a burden, and a wife is a burden burden. It seems like kind of a stretch, Mike. It does. I asked Arnold Zwicky, he's a linguist at Stanford University who has written about the word faggot. I asked him what he thought of that theory. He said, it's a nice story. Well, it's not really a nice story. It could be true, but there's no real evidence for it. He's a fan of another theory for which there is evidence of a kind. Here's Arnold Zwicky. There's another word now pretty much obsolete, Besom, B-E-S-O-M, also used for a bundle of rods or sticks and as an implement for sweeping, that with the pronunciation bism in Scots and dialect forms of English was used, as the OED puts it, as a contemptuous or jocular designation for a woman. The sense development for faggot is exactly parallel to that. Treating a woman like, in effect, a broom. This is kind of like, I don't know, finding another skeleton just like Lucy and realizing that there's a second line of ancestry to modern human. Tell me the connection between besom and faggot. Both of these words started out as a bundle of sticks. Both of them ended up, at some point, being a pejorative for a woman. And as a kind of intermediate etymological step, both of them were connected to either literally a broom or broom-making in some way. And Zwicky is suggesting that faggot made this 
pejorative, figurative leap somehow through the broom connection. So it's because brooms are women's work, right? Whereas, I don't know, anvils and swords and, you know, uh, microphones are for super macho men. (laughs) Yes, there's that. There's also something else. In Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, the character Amicus Caro calls another character, Minerva McGonagall, an old bism. Minerva McGonagall is a witch. Witches are now, and were even in the 1500s, very closely associated with brooms. Uh, uh, so there's a figure of speech. I don't, I don't know what it is. You call somebody by a, a word that is associated with people like them, right? Like you call a, a soldier a lance. Yes, exactly. It is called metonymy, like referring to the king as the crown. So I think Zwicky is suggesting, yeah, in a sense, identifying a woman as a broom is a form of metonymy. And that's how Faggot made this figurative leap. So I guess it's not much of a leap to see how a a derogatory term for a woman would quickly come to be a derogatory term for a man because questioning someone's masculinity, you know, somehow cuts so deep. Do we know where this began to happen? First of all, Zwicky says that any derogatory term for a woman or a part of a woman is eligible for use as a slur against gay men or men that are seen to be weak or effeminate like with the word pussy. That shift happened for the word faggot about 100 years ago. The very first OED citation for the word faggot as a term for a gay man is from 1914, though it's virtually certain that that usage had been in circulation for you know many years before that, because it takes a while sometimes for shifts in meanings of words to be noticed and documented. And in fact, Zwicky says that dictionaries today have yet to catch up with still another shift in the meaning of the word faggot taking place right now. Starting from a slur on homosexuals or presumed homosexuals, the word has moved to a generalized insult with actually no imputation of sexuality at all. That's paralleled roughly by one of the extensions of gay itself in the stupid, lame sense that's often associated with teenagers that's so gay. Okay, so it's morphing to become a more generalized epithet that really has little or no connection with sexuality or insufficient masculinity or strength. It's now just a general insult, sometimes. Which is the way you use it, apparently. So then I'm off the hook, right? So when I use the term hyperbolically in a situation that in no way calls for it, I'm just an extraordinarily witty man with not a homophobic bone in my body, right? I don't know. You know, for Zwicky, it all depends on the context. The deal with sensitive vocabulary is that it depends on who is using the word, to whom, and for what purpose. You can't say that a word is always offensive or never offensive. That's a total non-starter as an argument. Nevertheless... People in general are inclined to believe in a kind of word magic, that the associations of a word come with it no matter who's using it, to whom, for what purposes. That's what GLAD is doing, the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation, and I disagree with them quite strongly. For them, any use of the word is offensive. It's intrinsically offensive. Okay. There's something I need to mention here, Bob. Zwicky is not only a linguist, 
he's also a faggot. <laughs> well, well, well. Do you mean he <laughs> is a faggot in the asexual sense of just being a jerk? Or that he is, is gay and you will be dealing with his attorneys? What? <laughs> it sounds offensive when I say it, right? Yes, it does. Can I just jump in here? <laughs> yes, it does. However, Zwicky self-identifies as a faggot. He's a gay man who uses that word in his writing and in conversation sometimes. Now, why would a gay man use that word? The same reason that a black man might use the N-word or a woman might use the word bitch. One step is defiant uses. You use the word understanding that many people will find it offensive. So we get things like Pansy Division song, Cocksucking Faggot, which is a wonderful reworking of the piece-colored spade from hair. So that's a defiant use, and then that leads to merely reclaimed uses, where you go past defiance and use the word as an ordinary word in the way that dyke has largely been reclaimed as a word for lesbians. When reclamation works, then the word continues to be used without insult connotations anymore. But are we quite there yet with the word faggot? Absolutely not. No, we're not there yet. No, I'm, I'm on the leading edge. <laughs> at the exact opposite end of the scale from the people at GLAD, who are trying to wipe out any use of the word whatsoever. And nobody gets to legislate. Instead, these things are negotiated usually implicitly, sometimes explicitly, sometimes by actual disputation, but often just by people changing the way they talk. I'm a... Cocksucking faggot, a flaming faggot, a fuck bunny fruitcake, come super deli homo. So I think that Arnold Zwicky makes a lot of sense. Of course, Zwicky as a gay man is entitled to stand on that leading edge, as he calls it, more so than you or me, Bob. Most of the rest of us, I think, have no choice but to remain spectators you know, watching this tug of war between people like Zwicky and the folks at GLAD. And it may be, says Zwicky, that this tug of war takes decades or that the opposing forces are equal enough that the word remains indefinitely in this kind of nebulous, awkward space. Well, you know, let's just say there is that tug of war going on, Mike. You got to assume, though, that the Zwicky crowd, that those who militantly embrace the word to reclaim it, in his words, you know, they're clearly making some progress because the society, at least in parallel as a matter of civil rights, is being far more embracing of homosexuality than it was when we were kids. Well, when you were a kid. Uh, yeah. Thanks. That's, that's very nice. But there's one more thread here, which is actually exactly where we started this conversation, right? The notion of using the word as a sort of generalized insult that has absolutely nothing to do with sexuality, but is just so utilitarian. You know, I use it just as a sort of absurdity to be hyperbolic in a way that's as inappropriate as I can possibly make it, right? But, you know, others just love the word for its descriptiveness. You've heard the Louis C.K. bit, right? I have, yeah, and I like it. But, you know, like Zwicky said, we're not there yet. It shouldn't be up to me 
to decide when and whether that word is suddenly okay. In the way that you wouldn't, just because black friends use the word nigger among one another, you wouldn't venture to use it yourself. No, I wouldn't. Well, you and Louis C.K. and Chris Rock have a different worldview. All right. You know, not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> I miss that word, you know. I, I grew up saying that word, and I mean, it, it never meant gay. You don't have to be gay to act like a fact. Anybody can act like a fact. When I was a kid, you called somebody faggot because they're being a faggot. What if the person was acting like a faggot? Because you're a faggot, all right? Not to jump around like a bunch of Kansas City faggots. Faggot? Faggot. Faggot! Faggot! Watch me, faggot! Throw out your hands, stick out your tush, hands on your hips, give them a push, you'll be surprised you're doing the French mistake, voila! I have one final question for you, Bob, before we move on to the lexiconundrum. Are you familiar with the Yiddish lullaby, Schlaf mein Fagala? <laughs> uh, no, no, but I, I see where you're going with this. My mom spoke some Yiddish. She wasn't a big lullabyster, but I do know from Fagala, Fagala, which I think it means faggot. <laughs> Not exactly, but the lullaby goes something like this. Thanks, Mom. Okay, Zindula, give me a call. I love you. Ah, but this is, you know, this whole other thread to pull because there is this notion, right, of Fegala as being someone who's Light in the loafers. Should we forget about bundles of sticks and besoms and and look no farther than Eastern Europe? First of all, that really was my mom. She happens to be a native Yiddish speaker and would sing that lullaby to me when I was a child. Many Jews of a certain age refer to gay men as fagalas, which translates literally as little bird. In the lullaby, schlaf mein fagala macht sie dein egala means sleep my little bird, close your eyes. Now, fagala and faggot sound like they could be related. They're not. However, some have theorized that the use of fagala, which was really widespread, may have reinforced faggot becoming a dominant term of derision for a gay man. So in other words, Mike, blame the Jews. Well, you know, you don't have to blame all Jews. You could just blame my mom. My mom, too. He's right. Individually, we are weak, like a single twig. But as a bundle, we form a mighty faggot. Well said. All right, it is time now for this week's lexiconundrum. Mike, tell us where we left off. Before we get to the lexiconundrum, there's something we need to clear up. On last week's episode, you, Bob, said that in the song Live and Let Die, Paul McCartney sings this ever-changing world in which we live in. Many, many people wrote to us suggesting that the line is, in fact, this ever-changing world in which we're living. W-E apostrophe R-E, living. And a listener named Jason sent me a link to a Washington Post interview with Paul McCartney from 2009 in which McCartney is asked about the lyric. And he apparently starts singing the song to himself and then says this, and I'll quote directly from the interview. It's funny. There's too many ins. I'm not sure. I'd have to actually look. I don't think about the lyric when I sing it. I think it's in which we're living. In which we're living. Or it could be in which we live in. 
And that's kind of sort of wronger, but cuter. That's kind of interesting. In which we live in. In which we live in. I think it's in which we're living. (laughs) That's a direct quote. (laughs) So much for going to the source. Yeah, that resolves exactly nothing. However, in your defense, Bob, I looked at the sheet music, and the sheet music says, in which we live in. Uh They don't put a copyright on uh, approximate transcriptions. As far as I'm concerned, QED. I don't know the process by which lyrics make it officially onto the sheet music, but I'm guessing that that process is in some way, you know, formally defined. So my money's on the sheet music, you know, not Paul McCartney's senile ramblings to a Washington Post reporter. (laughs) Yeah, just saying, Mike, just saying. Well, thanks again to Jason for pointing out that Post interview and onto the lexiconundrum. Last week, I revealed that your ancestors, Bob, changed their name from Garfinkel to Garfield and noted that both names have the vowels A, I, and E in that order. And I challenged our listeners to come up with a name of somebody famous whose first and last name has the vowels A, I, and E in that order and no other vowels. And you uh, gave a couple examples which I had assumed had covered the entire universe of correct answers for this Lexiconundrum. I gave the examples Charlie Daniels of the Charlie Daniels Band and Daniel Radcliffe, who played Harry Potter in the movies. And a lot of people submitted entries, many of which had the vowels A, I, and E in both names, but also other vowels, so they didn't count. The first correct submission was by John Delizano with Xavier McDaniel, who is a former basketball player with the Supersonics. Also, a listener named Curtis Erhart was the first to submit Hattie McDaniel. Hattie McDaniel was the first African-American to win an Academy Award for her role as Mammy in Gone with the Wind. I didn't know this, but apparently half the population of this planet has the name Javier Martinez. So there were a lot of those entries. And, you know, half of those are like South American soccer players. A few other noteworthy entries... Clara Loganoff was the only person to submit Reiner Fassbinder, the German filmmaker. Uh, Frankie Lane was actually the name that I had in mind when I issued the challenge. He's a singer with a bunch of hits in the 1940s and 50s. Stephanie from Alaska guessed that one. But perhaps my favorite submission is Charlie Lane. And I'll quote directly from the email. Charlie Lane is an American porn actress with 177 credits on IMDb. 177, including Girls Kissing Girls 8, and curiously, says the emailer, Ashlyn goes to college 3, this time for her PhD, I suppose. Yeah, by the way, Ashlyn goes to college 3, not half as good as Ashlyn goes to college 2, which, my view, masterpiece. Really? I'm really looking forward to number four. I think that that's the one where they're going to introduce 3D. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I think think this has to stop. All right. Well, this week's lexiconundrum, I'm going to call the adjectival present participle. Which, you know, really rolls right off the tongue. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's going to bring the, <laughs> the entries cascading in. Well, you know, if there are some executives at the Game Show Network or, you know, Milton Bradley listening right now, I, you know, they'd be really smart to contact me. I could make them a lot of money with this idea. Yeah, you better, you better trademark that and, and grab, the, uh, grab the URL, too. Well, here's how it works. 
there are a lot of things in the English language, you know, people, places, objects, that can be described with a two-word phrase where the first word is an adjectival present participle, and the second word is a noun. And remember, a present participle is just the ing form of the verb. So, for example, if I gave you the noun band and told you to come up with an adjectival present participle, you might say marching, marching band. If I said break, you might say parking. If I said iron, you might say driving, as in driving iron, or you might say curling, as in curling iron. Now, that's kind of easy if I give you the noun, but if I just give you two initials and ask you to come up with a phrase that fits this pattern, that might be a little harder. So if I said PK, you might say paring knife. If I said PZ, you might say petting zoo. So it's it's like we're we're coining Native American names. Running bear. I mean, does that qualify? No, running bear would not qualify because that's not like a thing. Give me two letters. Let me see what I can do. B R. Baking raconteur. Baking raconteur. That's not a thing. It's not like a, an expression that people use to describe something. <laughs> You're just making that up. You can't do that. You know how like people are saying, uh, gosh, I want to go pick up my crumpets, but I'm afraid I'm going to get buttonholed again by the baking raconteur. <laughs> crumpets? <laughs> Don't we live in America? You hear it all the time. Well, I was actually thinking more like battering ram. Yeah, that too. I mean, if you want to go in that direction. <laughs> okay. Well, that was what I was going to post on the webpage, but I guess I won't anymore. So for this challenge, we're going to post on the Slate webpage for this episode of Lexicon Valley a series of initials, and you have to come up with phrases that fit this pattern for each of them, with the first word being an adjectival present participle, the second word being a noun. Okay, please send us your thoughts, ideas, and answers to the Lexiconundrum. SlateLexiconValley at gmail.com is our email address. Please also subscribe to our feed on iTunes. I want to thank Arnold Zwicky of Stanford University. And many, many thanks also to Andy Bowers, the executive producer of Slate's podcasts. Later, Gator. Later, Gator.